0818-715-815. Hello, good afternoon, and a very welcome to Liveline. It all began on Monday when I read out a statement from on Commission Larinke Gelge after a query from a number of parents to Liveline and they told us that they are having an inquiry into unethical behaviour which cannot be uh, tolerated by the organisation. The evidence apparently dates back several years and identifies individuals allegedly offering various inducements to promote dancers to a higher than deserved placing at particular uh, competitions. Uh, there, It is also believed that there are a number of teachers and schools uh, implicated in the allegations. This we've been uh, overwhelmed, as people know, from listening uh, by parents especially, and indeed former dancers. We'll be talking to a former dancer in a sec from Boston who's contacted us. Then we go to a, a, an experience from... Uh, someone who travelled from Australia to compete in an Irish dancing competition. But uh, let's let's uh, listen to just a quick summary of some of the emails we got overnight. Joe, my 14-year-old is an Irish dancer and loves it, despite my protests. The kids are told in no uncertain terms do not go to a particular fish if it is run by a rival dance teacher. They're told to wear shoes that are too small in order to make their feet look even smaller. They lose their toenails as a result. In relation to the makeup, it is very clear this must be done. You are told to book in, get it done at the fish, as this will help your marks. The wigs, the tan, the makeup, it's all too much. My daughter does not play football or any other extracurricular activity and has put years into Irish dance. It is absolutely shocking. And I'm thrilled some of this is finally coming to light. I am an ex-Irish dancer who started at three and finished at 20. I want to clarify after yesterday's segment regarding teacher adjudicators mingling and relations. Generally, to be a teacher, you have to have competitively danced in the organisation. To be an adjudicator, you had to pass your teaching exams. You grow up through the organisation and you network through it. It is, at the end of the day, a sporting community, similar to GA or the FAI. I'm not shocked that this is happening at all. It's not new. And I respect and welcome the organisation's decision to review it. However, I do think that the current narrative is taking away from the sport and the skill set that you gain from it. Growing up through Irish dancing is a huge character building experience for a child. It teaches you how to deal with life, with wins, losses, to compete on your own and to compete as a team. I've no doubt it has shaped me into the person and professional that I am today. Competitors dedicate their hearts and souls into this sport for no financial gain, just to compete and win. I think while this dark cloud is over the competitive dancing world right now, it is important to remember what can be gained from this wonderful sport. Dear Joe, my daughter recently departed the Irish dance scene and it has left a huge gap in her life. She's a teenager who dedicated all her free time to dancing to the cost of all other hobbies. Her time with the particular dance school was hell. Like the rest of other dance students, she dreaded going to practice. Like lots of schools, there were a number of classes throughout the day. Kids sent text messages to one another in advance of the later classes to warn that the teacher was in foul form. Students would be terrified. Some ran out of the class crying. Others would vomit in the bathroom in sheer terror. These young people were pushed to their absolute physical limit. 
They would be dripping in sweat, using the walls as support. Some would actually faint. This ugly element impacted greatly on my child, but now she misses her friends. For her to stay or depart dancing was a lose-lose situation. Just a quick uh, example of what we've been getting overnight and more to come. Grace has contacted us from Boston. She's on uh, the WhatsApp uh, number. Grace, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? Good, Grace. You say fesh fixing. You you danced at the World Championship. You danced up to the age of 18. You were successful. But you say fesh fixing was always part of the culture. What, what do you mean, Grace? Yeah, I mean... There was always some level of understanding that we refer to it um, as politics. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There was always some some uh, notion that that politics would inform um, some of the results. And as an Irish dancer, you're kind of conditioned to, you know, accept a lot of things that don't really make any sense and that are out of your control. You know, at a competition, um, you can be, you know, unlucky enough to officially at a major competition dance on stage with the current world champion. And, you know, everyone knows if you dance on stage with the current world champion, no one really watches you and you won't score as well. Or the floor is, is slippery or whatever. And, and, and the judging is, is very subjective. And so you kind of learn to sort of accept and normalize and that certain things are out of your control, or this is how how, how I thought about it. Certain things mm-hmm. are out of your control and and not really fair, but you do the best that you can do and and hope for the best. You know. You say this is an opportunity for CLRG to face the systematic failures and judging environment. What are the systematic failures in your view, Grace? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think that. Um, well, for one thing, I think something that, that you've highlighted, Joe, is some really blatant conflicts of interest um, in the mm. kind of judging teaching environment, right? You have a situation in which most judges are also teachers, even though at a given competition, you know, if a judge is also a teacher, their dancers cannot compete at that competition. But that doesn't really prevent um, any of the other kind of, you know, mixing that can happen that can lead to these sorts of fesh um, fixing situations. And and, and really what what it creates is like if there isn't really a distinction between who's a judge and who's a teacher, how are you going to create regulations Mm -hmm. to control what kind of interactions can can take place um, between judges and, and, and teachers. Um, another thing is that the, the, the scoring system, the judging system really leaves no room for accountability. Um, yes, there are technical elements that we know that the judges are scoring based off of some people, you know, but it's, it's very subjective at the end of the day. But the statement from the C, the the commission, as they call themselves, even the people think it's a government organisation because of that word, the commission. It's not a government organisation. Mm. It's a private company. Mm. A commission, and they organise competitions. Commission of Rinky Gale, and they're regarded as the biggest in the world and go from China to New Zealand to Australia to South Africa to Canada to America and obviously Ireland and the, the rest of Europe. But they say, uh, identifies individuals who are offering various inducements. Mm. 
What's your right. what you're describing is not <laughs> inducements. But that's oh, what they oh. Say. oh, yeah. So um so what I mean is that like in, inducements are are allowed to exist in the form of like you know, I'll judge your dancers okay. in this competition and then the next back. time, you know, right. And so, um, yeah. and because teachers and judges are, are one and the same, they're, they're mixing throughout the years and throughout whatever. And so these sorts of relationships and, and agreements, um, mm. can, can take place and, it, and it's hard to control that. It's hard to regulate that. But they say this, um, the statement also that this grossly unethical behavior must be eliminated mm. from like grossly unethical behavior is not you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Anyway, I'm saying there, I there's mean, probably well, more questions you, and answers from this statement you, as, I, as I said on Monday. Yeah, well, I, 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 I think it is pretty grossly un, unethical when you okay. have, you know, dancers that are, dedicating their lives to this sport with the belief that 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 it is fair that if they dance well they will be mm -hmm. judged accordingly on and merit, and yeah. what we see from yeah on merit now grace when you were dancing you're you're still very young when you were dancing i presume the the makeup the, the false tan the double wigs the did the did the foot binding was that in operation when you were dancing the the foot bindings specifically yeah, with, with electric, or, yeah. electrical tape oh i mean yes i i never really thought of it as foot binding i okay. mean um I, I you sort of i mean i guess it's similar to like ballet shoes right or figure skating shoes where yes you always buy shoes that are much too small for you and they hurt and you get blisters it's, why? it's really well, why do you quite why, painful and we heard this yesterday and the day before why do you why do you get into shoes that are much small too small for your grace yeah uh, well because you know <laughs> yeah why is a good question i mean be uh, it can make it uh, you don't want your feet to like flop around people think it sort of just looks better on stage it looks more neat yes felt, um, felt or, but yeah, yeah um so there's a, there's an aesthetic component to it but no i mean why asking why is totally legitimate <laughs> okay. um and was it painful oh yes oh so painful so painful i mean you have just i you know holes literally just bleeding sorry to to your listeners but but open wounds on your on your feet and toes and yes very very painful wow but and, and you're you're reminding us that this is um and this issue was raised by a number of politicians yesterday this uh, international irish dancing competitive scene is regarded as an irish beginning in an ireland phenomenon but it's it's all over mm. the world now and the tarnish yesterday spoke about reputational damage and uh, the minister mm. for arts etc spoke about writing to the clrg yeah um mm. anne marie say say with us uh, anne marie your niece lives in australia came over to the uk to dance what happened you went along I do. Um, I suppose from an outset, I'd say I'm a proud auntie and I know nothing about the Irish dancing. So we just kind of went over as as, uh, as her aunts yeah. um, just to watch. And I brought my kids and my sisters brought their kids. So we were a gall of people. 
and I was nearly there with poster paints so we could make loads of pictures. Yeah. Anyway, walked in and it was a very different environment where it wasn't child-friendly hardly. Um, mm-hmm. And now, th- that was London and then she came a couple of years later and then she went to Scotland. And when we were in Scotland, um, I, I was watching her compete and there's little ones on the stage and they're leaning over and they're actually vomiting on stage oh with the nerves goodness. and the worry. Oh my God. It, it was, oh, Joey, like, you think of a child welfare and you just think, seriously. And then, so that happened, and then they clean up. They have sweeping brushes, which are used irregularly. And the, the, the hairs and the wigs are falling off regular. And Del Monte and all the bits. And like, these little girls are on their tippy toes. So they're not cleaning the stage after every dance. So I'll tell you what I know about it. Every three minutes, uh, a group of three girls come onto the stage. Okay. They ring the bell and then they start dancing. Okay. And that three minutes, they are performing. And they, it's all doggy-dog, get to the front, make sure the, do- the judges see you. And that's the way it works. And, then th- and those, one- just to be clear, those three dancers uh, for those three-minute period, they're three separate competitors. They're not dancing as a team. Yeah, they're not dancing as a team. No, they're individuals. So the judge judge is expected to judge them as the three of them dance. Yes, individually they're they're given a grade. I gather, I don't know. Yeah, okay. Um, So there was one situation where this little girl stumbled, did not fall, but she stumbled. And then she stopped dancing, went to the back of the stage and cried. She was 12. And then... uh, I had asked my sister afterwards, you know, what happened there? And she said, oh, she knew she should have fallen. And by she that... Sh- she, should have uh, gone, she should have gone down on the ground. She should have gone down because... Who did she think she is, Ronaldo? Exactly. Are we... She should have... Exactly. She should have feigned the fall. Yeah, because if you fall, you get a reset. In other words, the three girls go off ah. stage and they're allowed to compete later. Okay. But if you stumble... If you stumble, it's, it's of no regard. You're out. You're out. You stand to the back of the stage and wait for the three minutes to, to pass. You were also taken aback by the cost of the Irish dancing dresses. We've heard about this between oh, three yeah. and six K. Yeah, yeah. But on top of that as well, year on year, you're, you're not encouraged to wear the same dress. Okay. Because it has to be new. It's just... Like, you were saying work, your, your niece's dancing dress... Cost yeah, more. Cost more of my wedding dress. Yeah, yeah, it did. Just nonsense when you think about it. You know, and like my little niece, lovely hair, desperate wig putting on, on her beautiful hair. Like, yeah. We're now in a position where every one of our children, we are fortunate enough to use proper shampoo, proper conditioner, yeah. and their perfect hair. You have bald patches and foolishness like that. Nonsense. And by the way, your, your niece came from Australia to the UK. Yes. Who paid? Oh, she didn't. And my, my sister, you see, my sister was coming over. It, it was a joint opportunity for her to come home. Okay. So she came. So every four years, they take a different place. It's in Canada, I think, this year. Um, so she came over for London. Then four years later, she came over to Scotland. And then in 2019, sorry, 20, just before the pandemic, she had decided she was going to do her last fish. Had been over in 
Scotland six weeks with her dancing school because they make connections between different dancing schools in Australia and different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So she had come over six weeks early. She was in Scotland when lockdown happened. And thankfully, I managed to get, she get out of Scotland back to me to live. Um, and she was then spent about four weeks trying to get back to, to, to Australia because everywhere is locked down at that stage. Okay, but Lay- that's how much commitment she's given her. Yeah, but Layla Healy, who was a former world champion, still very young, she was on with us yesterday and she said the competitions this year should be postponed. She understands the difficulty. They should be postponed until this judging scandal is cleared up. There's a The CLRG, not the government, but the CLRG have appointed a judge um, of the High Court um, and he, it's a he, Michael Peart, and... Um, they're saying they should. The Leila was saying we should wait for the outcome of his. I don't think that's a good idea. Okay, I why? Don't think that's why, Amory? Why? Because these children have compete have, have prepared, yeah. and I'm talking about serious coffee preparations. Because you have a physio that's specific for Irish dancing. These children have prepared. This is a bigger picture, not just about the next competition. It should be. They should go ahead with a mindset of trying to make it better for the next event and. Better okay. again for every other event after that. Okay. But Preparations are done. Do you not think there's right. a, now a cloud over the adjudication process? Serious, uh, well, heavy, sh- dark cloud. To be fair, there's a cloud over every adjudication, every referee, every match no, you go to. No, there's not. No, there's not. Things. There's not. No, I'm sorry, there's not. Every, every, every the referee does not socialise the night before oh, no, with the, with yeah, the two yeah, no, teams. Fair. He does not sit yeah. at the bar having a drink. With no, Ronaldo no, on one side and Mo Salah on the yeah. other, and he's he's refereeing a game between the two of them the next day. If he if but the refer if a referee did do that, he'd be he or she would be sacked. Yeah, like, I I've been listening to the last couple of days, and I hope the situation isn't as bad as what I hear. But I don't think it by calling off the next event. Okay, is well that's a fair a good point. Idea. Grace, what do you think of that point that the event should be postponed until the adjudication process is clarified and. And the, the, the issues raised in their own statement right. by the CLRG, we're not, we're not quoting anyone out of school here. They, this statement says, this grossly unethical behaviour must be eliminated yeah. from our dance genre. Yeah, and, you know, they received these allegations in July and they haven't made any moves to, or publicly, to do anything. I mean, forget postpone competitions, forget remove uh, the licenses for these um, named folks to teach or judge. Until it started out. I'm saying, is that not... Is that the not, All Scots. So you're breaking up I there. mean, so, I mean, so the answer to you, to, to your question, I mean, they, they should have done something in, in, in July, the yeah. summertime. You know, um, I... I I think it would be it would be tragic to cancel these competitions, okay. but I mean, I I do think I, I honestly I I think that is that is the most ethical move, um, mm. but unfortunately, the burden of that falls on the dancers who really did nothing wrong. So, but but the dancers not children situation. are very very smart now. Gen Z or whatever, but they 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 mm. would they would be reading uh, texts and messages yeah. 10, 12, 11, 13. Yeah, and they're saying to their parents, "But mommy, daddy, auntie, will will I will I win on the basis of how good I am, or on the basis of what school I'm in, or on the basis of as we heard yesterday, yeah. the judge 
being given uh, three numbers from a school, three competitors' numbers, and do your best for them. Yeah, ab- ab- you know, absolutely. And I, if, if I was dancing, I was talking to my mom about this. She said, you know, you you, you would be out. I, I I would pull you out, and I say, yeah, I I, I would be out okay. too. Um, but and but the, yeah, the, the, the thing is though, Joe, is that keep going, Grace. Yeah, the, come back to the thing me, is, yeah. is that. Um, is that I think a lot of these dancers are already having those conversations with, with, with their parents before these allegations came to light. You know, like like I said, there's always been this mm. notion that there's something unfair behind the scenes. So like, you know, is so if that if that understanding wasn't the breaking point before, you know, will this be the breaking point? Maybe, you know, yeah. for, for dancers to continue, maybe it, it would be for me, but I would understand why they would say, I've been in it this long already. I'm just going to stick, you know, I'm going to do my it. thing. Yeah. And Okay, say, yeah. say with us, more, more parents, uh, say with us, Grace, Anne-Marie, and I go to Laura and other parents after this break. Joe at rt.ie, no matter where you are in the world, joe at rt.ie, 51551 text. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Going back to this uh, Irish dancing competition scandal. It's not an Irish dancing scandal. It's a competition uh, scandal. Here are more parents who contacted us. My child has been involved in Irish dancing for the last 14 years. Unfair practices is very much part of the judging process in competitions. What is the point of all the long-haul trips we parents make with our children, both in Ireland and internationally, if this is going on? Anyone involved will not talk about it, because they are afraid it will affect the next competition they are involved in. As of now, our child is contemplating stepping away from all competitions, and just to continue training hard and keeping in touch with all the great friends we have made over the years. I would love if the industry could clean up their mess, as it is a great tradition, and the kids love being able to dance the jigs and reels, and the confidence they gained from it was priceless. My daughter dances under CLRG. Many kids in her age group have their own Instagram accounts with their practices set up by parents, and new dance moves are all posted online, often daily. They are all followed by judges, teachers and other kids. They are all under 10 years old. As a former Irish dancing teacher, you need to understand that most Irish dance teachers become adjudicators. We always socialise together. This is nothing new. My child has never been in a competition which has been fair. My child has taken knock after knock from the All-Irelands, the Irish Nationals and even regionals over the years. At one stage, I questioned her ability and the ability of her teachers. These culprits, like in any sport, should be suspended. Fesh fixing has been going on for years and years. At one huge competition, a judge was found to go back into the results room after speaking to another teacher and asked, did he give his top mark to a particular dancer? When he realised he hadn't, he went back in and changed them. It's been rife for decades. Laura is on the line. Laura, good afternoon. You're a dressmaker. Hi, Joe. Hi. Your point, please. You're in the business for three decades. I've been in the business for 30 years. And really, I don't think this is anything new. Probably we didn't have any way of proving it. But mothers, parents have always spoken like this to us as they came to collect dresses. Um, they've always questioned the marking after competition. 
Um, and was that nobody deep... seemed to be able to do anything about it. Well, Laura, was that just disappointed parents, or was it? Um, it was consistent. Is that I what you're saying? I suppose you can always say that, but they've always sort of. We've done made dresses for kids over the years who maybe have always come second to a child who's always won, who happened to have a mother, a grandmother who was a, a judge. Um, they would con- they continued year after year to dance, you know, uh, knowing what was going to happen. And maybe they might be put in to win maybe a Leinster's, but would never win in All Ireland or. You know, that sort of thing but you're has saying, gone on for years. You, you understand if parents, some parents get upset, but you're saying there's a, con- a consistency to, I don't want to put words in your mouth, you're saying there, it's a regular occurrence where parents feel their children were not judged properly. They, they've almost expected this, this is going to be how it is. Yeah, which is a point that Grace was making earlier. They, you know that this is how it is, unfortunately. And then to have dresses changed in the three, 30 years you've been dressmaking. Oh, absolutely, now. yeah. Um, like when I started making them, there were long, heavy dresses made of velvet, sometimes even at hand embroidery on them. Um, I suppose the big change happened after Riverdance. People said to us, oh, you'll never be able to make dresses again. But actually it went the opposite way. Because we were busier because, than ever. Because the dresses was, uh, changed, though. Be- they became lighter. They're much, much shorter now. Um, but bizarrely, the river dance uh, costumes were very simple. Very simple. Um, uh, but you're and saying people comp- said that's the way it's going to go, but it didn't go like that. It went they the other way. It became even more elaborate, if anything. Wigs. What do you think of the wigs? Um, the wigs have always been there. I think the wigs were there when I started 30 years ago. And if you didn't have wigs, they curled their hair using curlers or bendy yeah, thingies yeah. or even rag thingies, you know, to make the hair curly. I don't know why curly hair and Irish dancing always went together. My children never danced, so I, yeah. I, I don't know. But And then these, who, who said it the other day, was it Tuesday, about the number of crystals and beads on dresses now? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I started making them, if we put 100... 100 crystals on a dress we thought it was fabulous but now you're talking in thousands you and know it's and are all dresses made to order um most dresses are made to order but most companies would do a, a sample set that could be okay. sold you know off the rack um and would certain dance schools go to certain dressmakers they would um because most most schools have a class dress Okay. And then the most most schools also all the children have a solo dress as well. And the so sol- yeah. The uh, solo dress is the problem because the most teachers now want their children to go to particular designers to get the solo dress. And, and is, this is where the problem uh, is. They won't accept a dress from any other any other company. Oh. Only from these particular designer companies. So if you so if you sold a dress that was brought back, we did, yeah, which was sent back by the teacher. Why? She didn't like it. She said, you know, you can always say the colours wrong, or did she look? Did did he? Did the teacher? The problem was it didn't come from that particular company. But did the teacher look for an alternative from you? No. Just wanted her money back. Give the money back. Is every solo dress in the different? They're all different, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's expensive, isn't it? To make every dress different. Oh, yeah. You, you, the worst thing could happen would be two children on stage with a similar dress. 
you know, you just can't have a solo dress that's the same as somebody else's. It has to be different. Why? Um, because they all have a class dress. That That's their class. Yeah. So everybody knows that's your class dress. But we're talking but about individual. Solo dress, yeah. They have to look different to the child beside yeah. you on stage, you know. And have you ever come across where two children suddenly discover completely accidentally and serendipity? Of course, of course we have. And, and what do you do? You know, people will blame the other for copying one from copying the other. You know, that can happen. But, I mean, we've heard people say that. And when you look at the two dresses, they're absolutely... Not alike. I mean, you can't help it if two blue dresses end up on stage yeah, together. Yeah, of course. You know. Well, like, surely they're differentiated by their numbers. They have their numbers, yeah. yeah it's not yeah. as if the judge is going to get confused. Yeah, but, I mean, if, if somebody is known... I mean, we've had people who want to be seen out before a major competition in their new dress so that they're known in this dress. Yeah, but Anne, and Anne so Marie then was when just they're saying, on stage for the, the, the major uh, competition, the judge will know who's there, you know. But Anne-Marie just said to us there a few minutes ago, her niece's dress costs more than Anne-Marie's wedding dress. I mean, they, they, ours would, would have been half what they, the major companies are charging now. OK. Um, but yeah, you're talking 1500 up to... Two and a half thousand, three hundred, three thousand. You know. Yeah. Um. Do Do you make the dress to hide arms and posture? Can have you ever got? What, yeah, what does that yeah. mean? Yeah. Um. The well, we used to do only loose, wide sleeves, but okay. nowadays the sleeves are um, more see-through, more fitted. So they sometimes the arms are a problem then because the arms kind of move out as they're dancing. They're meant to be held straight down beside the body, you know. And people are saying it's a sport, but... Well, is, I suppose is it, it, is I mean, it for a lot part of girls, it's their only sport. It is, I mean... Well, is, a, it a, is it a sport or an art form or a cultural expression? Why does it have to be so competitive? I'm not sure Solo about the competitive one. side to it, I suppose. Um... But it is, for most girls, it is their sport, do you know? Now, we've got a lot of girls coming where they'd be playing football as well as dancing, which doesn't look great on the knees, but um, um, I I don't know, Joe, how, I mean, it's, you know. So what do you think of what you've been hearing all week, Laura? I haven't been surprised. I mean, we've been hearing it from parents for a long time, you know. And how do parents pay? I know you're 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 very reasonable, but how do parents pay up to in other places up to three thousand, four thousand euro for a dress? Um, I think a lot of them are quite proud of the fact that they're paying that much. Oh, do they? Okay. It's almost and like what happens, um, what you know, happens, they're proud to, to announce it to everybody they paid that well, let much. Me, so. Is Grace still there? Yeah, Grace. Grace, what happens to all your old? Um, Dancing costumes, where do dancing costumes go to die? Um, well, usually you you try to sell them okay. to other dancers. So if you're not at the top level, I would say it's more, you know, it's more commonplace to buy secondhand dresses or even okay. thirdhand dresses. But if you're at a top level, then then you're expected to, to get a dress, honestly, every, every year. Um, and... You know, and sometimes they just sit in your in your closet. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know. And did you have you many in your closet? 
My mom has managed to sell all of them. Well I believe, which, is, which I know, which is a little bittersweet uh, sweet to me. Why? Um, Why? Um, oh, there's just so many memories, you know? I mean, it's, it's so calm. I mean, I feel like people listening are probably just think we're insane like how, how why are you putting up with all this okay, yeah. it just seems insane um but it's it is so many things at once i mean it is it is my closest friends and and um you know i was really proud of myself and the work that mm-hmm. i put in and what i was able to to accomplish and i just love dancing i mean i really it's like the the Billy Elliot song, you know, you feel yeah. like you're flying. Yeah, of course, brilliant. And so, brilliant. and 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 you, and you think about that, you know, and you think about those memories, and um, but at the same time, I mean, do, do I think the Irish dance, the whole pageantry element of it, is absurd? Absolutely, I absolutely think it's it's absurd. Um, but it okay. it just it, it also is, you know, it's just yeah. Okay, okay, that for the time being. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Anne Marie. Thanks, uh, Grace. After this break, Joe at rg.ie 51551 text. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Quickie, quickie, because these people are very, very upset, I suppose. John Ralph, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. How are you? What happened? Oh, I was doing a gig last night in uh, Bachelors Walk at the Arrington Hotel there. It's a Norwich uh, Celtic Dublin, night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I finished the show, finished about half past ten. Um, I normally get the 11 o'clock bus home, so I went in for a quick point next door, pub next door. And long story short, it was behind me for, the banjo was behind me on the floor for two minutes or five minutes or whatever, and I was taken. Guy walked out with it. Um, and what pub were you in? Uh, O'Connell's. Small O'Connell's. I go in there first. Um, little small place there beside the Arrington um, and so basically that's it I'm devastated uh, the banjo is over 100 years old well it's actually 100 years old I, I have it for 20, 21 years um, they're very rare uh, so uh, and what type of banjo was it what made it's, it's, a, it's an epiphone epiphone uh, yeah yeah terrible, terrible and, and like was there CCTV or is anyone they have, they actually have CCTV there, and they were looking at it there last night. It didn't seem to be great, but um, the guards were on to me about an hour ago, and they're actually going down to see can they improve it or working on it in any way. And the word is out among them to have a look. And out was for it, it? You reckon it was? Could you see this? The person was a lone person or two a lone of them? person, lone one guy. Yeah. Um, and do you think he or well, she would like it? <sighs> Forgive me. Is a banjo yeah. case different from a guitar case, different from a mandolin case? It is, is it? It is, yeah, but, completely, but, yeah, yeah. But do you yeah, think, is, yeah. did, did think he, was he targeting the 100-year-old banjo, which is obviously irreplaceable? No, you, no he wouldn't. I think it was, uh, it was a matter of chance. An opportunist, OK. Yeah, what opportunist. Time, this was at what time last night? I'd say quarter to 11 would be bang on the time that he took it. We looked at okay. the CCTV there. So where no. do you go with a banjo at a quarter to 11? At night? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I can't understand, you know. Well, it's not like, yeah. you, you've, God forbid, you rob a mobile phone and you go, within 10 minutes, you'll probably have a soul. But, yeah, like, yeah, where, yeah. where do you hawk a banjo? Yeah, so we don't know. We, we, don't, we, we don't know whether he's some, some chap on the streets or living locally or we, we haven't got a clue. Could have jumped into a taxi. But you're begging him to bring it back. I'm begging, yeah, yeah, or, you know, all I want is the banjo back, basically. 
of anyone hand knows. It, hand it in somewhere. Hand it into a, hand it in, yeah, a garden station or a presbytery yeah. or any, anywhere. Just a- anywhere at all, yeah, yeah. Uh, give it to a very, tax, uh, give it to a taxi driver and say, "Will you?" Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where we are, John. Devastated. Jennifer, Jennifer is your daughter. Yeah, with Jennifer, that was auntie in the first place. You're you're Hi, up the Joe. you're up the walls as well. I am. I and I know my my dad sounds quite buoyant there, but I can assure you, um, we're all involved because um, my dad is absolutely lost um, without his banjo. The two of them are inseparable. So. We're just asking if someone comes across it, it happens to come, you know, by them, that they either return it to the pub, give it to a, a guard station, or even let your show, Joe, know. Um, like, we just want to back safely. We're not, I suppose, interested yeah. in retribution or anything. It's just, he's, it's his lifeblood. So we're, we're desperate to get it back. And were there, John, were there any identifiable stickers on the, on the, on the guitar, the banjo case? On the banjo. No, it was it was actually um it, it wasn't actually a case. We more of a black bag that surrounds the banjo. I okay. carry it over my shoulder, you know. But um, but the make of the banjo is very important. An Epiphone, they're they're very very rare, very rare banjo. And uh, it's the name on the fret. Yeah, or whatever. it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's printed on it. Yeah. And yeah, what's so, what's so good about this banjo? Don't say the player. What's so what's so good about the banjo? I know the player is brilliant. <laughs> Very debatable, Joe. Oh, no, I say it really. <laughs> uh, I, I, I have a 21 years. It's special. It's just a special instrument for me. Yeah. Um, and I actually introduce. I sent it to your researcher Lisa earlier on. Um, I introduce her as Epi, my hundred year old friend for the, yeah. to our audiences every night. So, uh, so where where was the the, the banjo originally made? A hundred years ago. It was made in America. I think New yeah. York. Uh, Epiphone were. A, and a where? Who did you buy it off? I, I are, uh, it was from a company called Bernunzio in New, from New York. I got it uh, oh. I ordered on, well, on, online at the time um, and got it delivered here. Uh, so that's, and I have it ever since. And is it, is it as the MasterCard asset, is it, is it priceless? To me it is, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. But much, if, you, if you were to go in and buy a new banjo, how much does it cost? If I, a replacement banjo? Yeah, or mean? a banjo. Yeah, you can buy them to, like you can buy them for a couple of hundred euro or yeah. thousands, you know. But, but this is a particularly fine instrument. Um, yeah, but I'm thinking whoever whoever ripped it off, whoever robbed it last night, uh, yeah. half ten a quarter. Whoever whoever robbed it doesn't know it's a va- such a valuable banjo. Well, I don't. Well, music wouldn't show, even know what's in the case, Joe. Yeah, exactly. He yeah. he he or she will just say, "Give us two hundred quid for that." That's it. Yeah, on the streets. Yeah, that's the only thing. I'm, um, and why so did John? Why did you take up the banjo? I always started playing music as a as a teenager. Basically, I started off on guitar, uh, and then I took up the five string banjo, and then I took up the tenor banjo. Uh, having listened to the Dubliners all the time, the great Barney McKenna, Barney, yeah. and uh, then we took off from there. I met a fellow called Paddy Whelan. He was, was still this is over forty years ago, and a few other guys, Johnny and uh, Tommy Kane, the Pipers, with us now. So uh, we're over forty years gone. Um, oh, you have a band as such, have you? Yeah, the band is called Shamrock. Yeah, Shamrock, we, yeah. Yeah, we are. How did you come up with? How did you come up with that original name? Uh, good question. I don't think it was me. <laughs> <laughs> and I John, John, as the, the banjo travelled around the world. Oh yeah, Epi. yeah. Every, Epi. Every, has Epi travelled? Epi, Epi has been travelling. Yeah, everywhere. You name it, we've been there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, lucky enough. And is that your livelihood at the minute? No, it's not. I'm retired from UCD now, uh, yeah. th- three years ago now. 
Um, but I was always playing music all, all along with the lads, you know. And what um, were you doing in UCD? I was a lab technician. Oh wow! Then, great, yeah, great, great. A long time. Yeah. So, so um, but it is it is your livelihood now. It is now. It is now. Yeah. And a particular instrument is is uh, like a part of me, you know. So I think. Okay. And it doesn't so, look a um, hundred years old. No, it doesn't. It looks fast. It do looks, you do you look a hundred years old? I, 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 I say uh, you do today. Last night I did. Yeah. Yeah. I did today. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, it's, yeah. the tragedy. I know it's it's not the end of the world. It's not, right? Yeah. But no, the, it's but, not, the, no. but the shame is that whoever robbed that. Doesn't realise how bloody pardon me, who doesn't realise how valuable it is. Yeah, that's right, Joe. Yeah. They just say look in Walton's, which is a great shop, or whatever, and look in the window and say, "There's a banjo for two fifty. Yeah. I'll see can I get one a hundred quid yeah. off or from something." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I let the work go about. The guy that took it wouldn't even know there's a banjo in it. You know, this whole thing. He just it yeah. could have been anything there. Uh, opportunist, you know. Yeah. Okay. Have you have you played with many? You mentioned Barney there, Barney McKenna. Have you played with any musical greats apart from the lads in Shamrock? Uh, oh, down through the years we have. Yeah, we played with uh, we were with the, we played with the governors on the national concert hall some years ago. Oh, well done! Uh, it was a tribute to Pete St. John, so oh, we great. were on that, and uh, we crossed paths with poor Brennan Grace. And right, uh, Brandon, yeah. for a lot of years we were with on the on the Dial's Irish Cabaret with Noel Viginity and oh, all great. the gang there. It's a wonderful Noel, Noel, yeah. Noel, yeah, he's a great friend of ours. And uh, okay. developed from there. Yeah. Okay, have you sent us in, have you sent us in a photograph of the banjo? That we, we can, that we can tweet. Uh, I don't know, maybe Jennifer has, yeah. Oh I see it I there have, now. Yeah. That's you with the beard, John, is it? Peace <laughs> the beard, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now in fairness, you do look younger than the banjo. <laughs> I don't think that's. Is that I don't a compliment? Was, <laughs> I don't think the program was taken yesterday. <laughs> and come here, John. Are you playing tonight in the Arlington? Uh, no, I'm not going to play tonight. Um, Why? I, well, I've no banjo anyway. First of all, but even if I had anything to replace, I just I can't get my heart into it this evening, Joe. God, it's a. Uh, f- uh, by the way, yeah, it's a yeah. fine-looking banjo, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. The decoration yeah. around the edges and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I bought it on the basis of that, the advertisement that. The advertisement for it at the time, you know. Yeah, and what's a banjo? Many strings in a banjo. Four. Yeah, that's a tenor banjo. It's a four string. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is it hard to play or hard to listen to? Uh, <laughs> some say hard to listen to. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a great answer. And yeah, do you, do you yeah. ever do dueling banjos? That's probably what a lot of people know, is it? I have. Yeah, I have in the past. Yeah, yeah. I played that once or twice. Yeah. Okay. Well, John, that's a beautiful, and I encourage people. We've tweeted the photograph there. Uh, at Joe Liveline and at RTE Liveline. Okay, it's it's Joe, just such a unique, it's a unique it instrument. Is. It is, absolutely, yeah, yeah. That is the difference, it is just so unique. Yeah, yeah. But what were you doing, what were you doing putting it down on the floor behind you? The fool. <laughs> yeah, look, I know, I know, I know. I was actually sitting on a stool and I think I had my arm on it at one stage. No, it was that close to me. I just turned around and was gone. Yeah. But it, sh- it shouldn't have been behind me at the bottom. No, no, no not so, at all. No. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's my mistake. Okay, let's hope. Take whoever it. whoever took yeah. it last night, might, might, someone might know about it. The banjo is, if you get 200 quid for it, which is probably what you'd get to, a, to yeah, an unsuspecting yeah. Um, person, it's it's worth more than 200 quid to John, isn't yeah, it? It, it is, is worth yeah, more than 200 absolutely. quid to you, okay. Yeah. And yeah. if someone phoned in and said, I'll, I'll lend them my banjo tonight, you won't go, no? Uh, no, I'll take a break tonight. Okay. <laughs> you're in morning. Yeah, I'm, dev- I'm actually, I'm in morning, devastated. You're yeah. strung, you're strung yeah. out, you're so yeah, upset. I'm strung the out. strings yeah. are gone. Yeah. And by the way, is, yeah. there, is there a number on it? Is there a reg number? 
is, which I don't have okay. uh, at hand. Um, there is a, 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 a painted number in every headphone that was made. Wow. Um, and it's stamped out, actually. actually but, um, but the make of the banjo is, is a unique, uh, it's as good as a stamp, the Epiphone. There are very few of them, if any, in the country, you know. Um, the only other person I know that has them is, Jer- is Jerry O'Connor. Oh yeah, you know, great, Jerry great Jerry O'Connor. Yeah, right, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. He, he actually, it was him that got it from me, put me onto it. Actually, ah. you know. There's yeah, a message yeah. here from Councillor Michael Collins, who's also a banjo um, artist, so to speak. He says the the epi epiphone is very identifiable. It has a serial number on it. I could see the serial number on the photographs on Facebook. Yeah. Um, it's a, an, uh, an epiphone recording artist banjo, and is worth about two and a half grand. I'm yeah, a banjo yeah. dealer in Limerick and I buy and sell these fine, fine instruments. It will yeah. be too hot to handle once people know it's stolen goods. Please pass, which we will, please pass down my d- details and Michael Collins might spread the word. Anyone's trying to sell an Epiphone banjo of a particular hue and design as you have. Um, having one's music instrument robbed is every musician's nightmare. That is actually. Isn't that yeah. true? Michael's absolutely correct there. You know, it's yeah, okay. terrible. Yeah. Okay, John, don't don't give up now, please. Don't I, give won't, up. I won't. I won't, Joe. I won't, Joe. You get it. You get a good buzz out of the Arlington and the crack, and everyone's in good form. And yeah, yeah, yeah. What's That's great. What, what's it like this year compared to well last year? You can't compare that to last year. Oh, last year. This year it's great. Where where it? And who's in? Are the Americans in? Are Canadians? Are there? There's not. Worldwide, basically, we're getting a lot of uh, people from Finland and Iceland, and uh, okay. and for Americans as well. Yeah, all over actually. Uh, a few Australians now, so oh, it's uh, well. The, well, the, the Arlington's been going a long time now, hasn't it? It has been going years. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, yeah. We only come on. We come on board her last year. Uh, okay, September, October. Now, you know? John, I'm t- I won't I won't back into a corner here, but the number of people are texting us there saying, "Please, John, try and borrow a banjo and play tonight. Don't." Don't, don't, don't. I, 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 I know you're upset, but... I, I, I couldn't face that place tonight. I couldn't. I just okay, couldn't. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe no we'll way. get a feature on Crime Call. Who who would you like? Who would you like? We'll get a replica banjo, but who would you like to play you on Crime Call, so to speak? <laughs> Je- Jennifer, who would play your dad on Crime Call? Sure, oh, he's, he's a fine, he's a fine beard there. He looks, there's a bit of the George Clooney look off him. <laughs> George, George Best, you probably like that. George, George Best, okay. <laughs> uh, no, come on, lads, lads, I'm really, um, I'm really encouraging people. It was uh, stolen last night in Dublin city centre, about 50 yards from O'Connor Bridge. Is that correct, John? That's yeah. right, yeah. It was yeah, stolen yeah. around half ten, a quarter to eleven. It's in a, it's yeah. in a bag. It's not a case. It's a yeah, bag. It's music. It's a music shaped bag. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a, yeah, 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 music yeah, shaped yeah. bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit like yourself, I'm, John. I'm going <laughs> <laughs> away, Joe. No, no reflection on O'Connell. The lovely people there. Yeah, we know I know well. that. I know and that. They were great I know. Last night, you know? I know yeah. that. I know yeah. that. All the yeah. all around there is great, great yeah. place for. Yeah. You go over to the confession box and Briodis and all that around yeah, that area. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the Pipers on the corner. That's a great area, great little part of the city now for good, friendly pubs and good, it is, good, good, good yeah. music too. John, we put the message out. Um, Thanks a lot, Joe. I'm sorry for that now, but try and get back playing as ASAP for your own. Okay. For oh, your own okay, sanity. Joe. And Jennifer, as Jennifer says, it gets them out of the house. Gets them from under their feet. Okay, Jennifer and John Ralph. John Ralph, please, please look out for that banjo, please. 
Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Dear Joe, Firstly, most of the Irish dancing community are equally horrified and delighted that this has come out. We are relieved that this is being highlighted and investigated and maybe something finally will be done. I have given my life to Irish dancing and CLRG. I started at four years of age, competed and medalled at world level and had a long career as a professional in stage shows all around the world. My partner did exactly the same and is an active teacher adjudicator in CLRG. One of our children is competing at an international level. However, before all of this came to light, we have taken the decision that our youngest child will never dance. What I would like to ask is as Irish dancing is being recognised as a sport, why isn't it regulated like all other sports? What's the harm in oversight, transparency or even access to funding? The answer is a cabal at the centre who don't want to have and are probably afraid of oversight. One last point. The competitors that are being affected by this are elite athletes. This is not Phoenix Park Sunday League. This is Premier League. These competitors have spent countless hours and years and dedicated their lives to this. What these people are doing is sullying and demeaning their efforts, both the competitors who are advantaged and disadvantaged. Okay, just just a few quick ones, because I want to go back to endometriosis, please. Um, Jamie Stone, and everyone does, I think, in fairness, because it, it, we, could, we could go on and on uh, with this Irish dancing scandal, but I think people have the gist of it now. And I was even listening to it on BBC last night, and, and, and they've got the gist of it as well. But Jamie Stone, your point, please. Jamie. Good afternoon, Joe. Um, I, I, I've been looking at this for a number of years. Okay, let me tell you a quick story. I happened to be in a house one day, you know, the usual thing, having a cup of tea and people talking. And next thing I heard, uh, we're heading off to so-and-so for the competition this way. Oh, what competition is this? And uh, eventually, anyway, the costume was brought down to show me. And I, I thought, what the hell is this? Now, the only way I can describe it, it looked to me like a big salmon. A massive fish scale. So this is what the nine, ten-year-old, I think, or something was going to wear at this fashioner. Mm-hmm. I thought, what in the name of God? Anyway, I, now I have a bit of an inquiring mind, and I get obsessed with things, and I really started to explore this whole business about the Irish dancing. And I formed some very prejudicial opinions about it. Um, okay, it's an Irish thing. But is it really? I can't see anything really cultural about it. It's just bloody tap dancing. Glorified tap dancing. And this ridiculous nonsense of their hands down by their sides. Uh, I'm told anecdotally that back in the 60s or 70s, they used to literally sew the sleeves of the costumes to the side of the costume so they couldn't move their hands. Okay. All the steps are the same. They're all uniform. There's no individualistic input into it apart from the outrageous designs of some of the costumes. All right, some of them are nice. You've got a Celtic thingy on it. Yeah, lovely. But the fish, the fish scale costumes are... I, I don't get it. I, I cannot understand how anyone can be so obsessed about this. And now it's a sport. I don't get me going on the competitiveness of it. Well, it's the competitiveness of it that we're talking about now. It, it's crazy stuff. Yeah. We're hearing the stories about mothers fighting outside, whether they be a fish or something, and arguing over Over what? It has to be the silliest art form I've ever seen. It's yeah, but a lot of, but a lot, yeah, but a lot, yeah, but a lot of people get a good kick out of it, so to speak. 
I get a great yeah, enjoyment out of a great yeah, exercise. I know. I know, I know. Okay, Frank Walsh. Frank, your point, please. Morning, Joe. How are you? Good. Uh, um, I started dancing in 1971 when I was six. And it was well known back then that this was going on. What was, what, in, what, in, what, in what way? In what way? Very simple example, Joe. Um, I won a few All-Irelands, I was lucky enough. Good man. But I, lost, I lost quite a few big competitions as well to dancers I would consider not as good at the time. Okay. And it was down to... I mean, I've seen teachers in prominent freshers tell their students to take off the solo costume, which probably cost their mums and dads hundreds, okay. even back in the 70s, and put on the class uniform, then the judge will recognise you. Okay, well, what we heard yesterday, the day before, was that judges were being, this is no different word now, judges were being texted numbers uh, of the certain competitors from certain dance schools and say, if you could look after um, 42, 73 and 104. Yeah, well, obviously back in, the back in the 70s, I danced up to probably 80, 82, 83. We didn't have texts, so there was, yeah. and I, I saw it, there was notes being passed. Okay, Enda Carey, thanks Frank Walsh and congratulations. Enda Carey, your how are you, Joe? Good morning. Okay, your your point, please, Enda. Um, I'm just surprised nobody's brought up the the comparison with the the beauty pageants for children that come up, especially in the United States. Yeah. Now, your researcher corrected me. I thought it was I thought it was ten year olds were wearing makeup and these silly fake tans and stuff. Your researcher corrected me to tell me that it's actually nobody below the age of 12 years is allowed to wear lipstick or makeup. But 12 years old wearing lipstick and makeup is still not a good thing. It's sexual exploitation. Children, it's the same BS that goes on with the U.S. beauty pageants. Irish dancing should be about the culture, the sport, and I think it is, should be recognized as a sport. It's a beautiful thing. It's not about dresses and wigs and lipstick and makeup. And that's what, Let's that's bring it back to what it used to be. Okay, that's what it's become. Bernadette, your point, please, Bernadette. Hello, Joe. Uh, I used to be an Irish dancer many, many years ago. And my costume was a white blouse, a green pleated skirt, and a sh green shawl with a, a shamrock on it. Mm -hmm. uh, the dance, it wasn't this. It wasn't as business orientated then when I was dancing as it is now. Okay. And the the organisation that was in charge at the time was on COCOS. And then the commission split up and they decided that they were going to go, you know, the big way about it. Now it's just the commission they split up from Gaelin and COCOL was involved with Gaelin. Okay. And the commission split up and they decided that they were going to hold the world and they were going to hold this. And that's when they started off with all these big costumes and so forth. When I was dancing, there was a school that started from Athlone. They had a beautiful midnight blue um, dress and they used to have the Irish cottage and the sunset and the spinning wheel and that. 
embroidered in their shawl and it was just lovely. And the first dancer that I saw that was cheated out of an, uh, a world medal was a girl by the name no, of... No, no, don't name anyone, Bernadette. Well, she, Thanks. She, she, no, don't she, name anyone. 51551. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And Joe at RTE.ie endometriosis, Victoria Phillip. Good afternoon. Hi, I'm sorry, I'm extremely nervous to talk about it there. Take her, take her time. You were diagnosed at 21. Yeah, officially diagnosed at 21. Um, unofficially at 16, because when you're young, they won't do the laparoscopy, so you have to kind of wait okay. and put up with the symptoms for, for a number of years. So. And the symptoms were, Victoria? Um, so I have debilitating pain daily. I, yeah. Some days I can't walk. Um, nausea, constantly vomiting. Um, sometimes I, I, the, you feel so warm, like your skin is on fire, and you have to lie down on, on yeah. a cold floor for ages. But I... Oh I have distinct recollection of being in work and being on my my hands and knees trying to, you know, take a call in in previous jobs and things because you know you have to work. It's not recognised as a disability. So and Victoria, you have did, to put through it. Do you mean literally on your hands and knees? Literally on my hands and knees. Yeah. In work. Yeah, in work. Yeah, or there'd be days where you know you would you you know you have to get there. So you put your pain in your legs might be two extremes you might have to like literally manually lift your legs while driving which is not advisable but you have to get from A to B Mm -hmm. and you have to be able to pull through it but most recently um, my pain got to um, a different level where it's I I know myself because I know my body that it's no longer uh, pelvic it's gone further up so it causes chest pains like a heart attack like I've been in an ambulance four times now with what looked to be a heart attack but it it wasn't thankfully Um, and I can't get anyone to kind of investigate there because when you're talking about enemy shows growing on the diaphragm or anywhere further it is quite difficult to get at that level of diagnosis uh, in this country anyway and what about pain relief pain relief um so far i haven't gotten much in the way of pain relief um sometimes i could have to go into the doctor and get the injection um directly into my to my bottom or my stomach mm. just to get the pain to be under control for a couple of hours but um, the most recent time I got that I was literally convulsing with pain it's 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 oh it's literally like labour I have I have luckily have two children two miscarriages two children and um, it's the exact same as labour pain it, there's no difference yeah, and how have you been in the last in the recent past so I'm still in the exact so I'm 29 now and um, I I'm sorry, I'm getting a bit choked up. Yeah. I, I, I genuinely believe that I've lost my, my 20s to this. I I have to cancel plans with friends. I don't get to do yeah. what I want to do. I don't get to go to a restaurant in case something that I eat exacerbates it. There's not enough study or research done in it, so no one really knows what's aggravating it. But you've been, you've been diagnosed with endometriosis. Yes, yeah, no, the diagnosis is step one. Um, the treatment. Is, is another thing there is because there really isn't a level of treatment yet. I've had two laparoscopies so far. Mm-hmm. I'm on a waiting list now, I think about 14 months with a, a doctor who is, is exceptional. He's probably one of the rare few in the country that actually have good knowledge on it. Okay. Um, but his waiting lists are huge because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I need another laparoscopy. And again, I'm, I'm 29 and it's looking like it's going to go towards a partial or full hysterectomy, which is in itself saying, it's, difficult it's, to deal it's, with. It's a disability. Yeah, but it's not recognised here. It is recognised in the UK, but but not here. 
You say I will need a walking stick soon. 29, yeah, 100%. 29 yeah. years of age. Yeah, like even if I'm out walking with my kids, I'm, I don't like to go without my partner in case I fall to the floor with pain. I don't want to be in that position. And you fall to the floor with pain. You will, you will literally collapse. It's the exact same as labour. So you kind of have to imagine that level of pain. And if you imagine a woman in labour, she has someone holding her up while she's having those pains yeah, or she's yeah, sitting yeah. down. And she knows. Women, she, women with endometriosis, we're yeah. in work with that. Say with us, Victoria, Dee Bork, what's your situation, Dee, please? So very similar to the previous lady there. Victoria, um, yeah. And yeah, so I'm 38 and I'm, I've been asking for a hysterectomy, honestly, in the last few years. And it's kind of, well, we need to do this, we need to do that. And it seems like, you know, it, like it's absolutely ridiculous that we have to travel to another country and spend how much money. Like, I don't even know... Mm-hmm how much it would cost to go to Romania and from listening to your show I'm starting to think maybe I'll go to the credit union and I'll take out a loan and you know like uh, and, and then what happens if you come back and you've got rid then you've complications you know or, um, but I've I've definitely lost my my 30s to it too and um, and I don't know when it's going to end and you've been topped off and the pain is exhausting as well because yeah. like your previous caller said you're putting things off you're you're saying I can't go there because you know you're going to come home in the middle of it in terrible pain or the painkillers I take at night I can't drive after I've taken them so if I'm out I have to come home we live in rural Ireland we live in East Clare um, beautiful large country but there's no taxis so if I've gone to visit a friend or whatever mm-hmm. I come home because I know that it's going to get bad um, and have you been well, when were you diagnosed Dee? Well, you see, this is the problem. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's um, they're assuming the diagnosis. So I've had a brilliant gynae after years and years of go- going through every department in the hospital to um, saying it could not be anything else. And I'm waiting for that laparoscopy to me, which they're saying originally should have been in April 2020 and hopefully in January 2023. Um, but until they, and even after the official diagnosis, you know, they're, like your previous caller said, they're, they're apart from a, a full hysterectomy, there's still not much they can do. And it's just, it's mad to think that for this disease, there is one clinic in the country. There's one clinic in the whole of the country for thousands and thousands of, of families who are affected by this. This affects my parenting of my kids. I'm yeah, now worried that my 11-year-old daughter may, will she go down the same route as me? Will I spend her teens trying to solve something that I don't even have solved myself, you know? Yeah, would you, would you realise things weren't right when you were 15? Yes, yeah. I did, yeah. Okay. So I wasn't have, I was having very regular periods and, and just, you know, from listening to your friends complaining, you kind of realise, well, this is normal. But I've been fobbed off by GPs yeah. and told, sure, look, you're late. But again, I go back to Amy's line yeah. the other day, that phrase mm. that we are regarded... Uh, women with endometriosis, if they can get a diagnosis, are regarded as unreliable witnesses to their own yeah. suffering. Tracy Scully, yeah. Tracy, what's your situation? Hi. Um, well, I think I'm one of the lucky ones at the moment. Um, I was diagnosed in 2018 after a full year of being in pain, like 10 out of 10 pain. I mean, horrendous pain. Um, and I had only really had symptoms for maybe a year and a half before that where, you know, the, mm. the periods would be getting heavier. And I just thought, obviously, throughout my teens, that's what a period was. Like, everybody, you know, goes yeah. through the pain. Um, but after um, 2017, after having a miscarriage, um, obviously, the hormones just went bananas and... Um, 
it caused me an awful lot of pain. I was in and out of hospital for the full year and not getting really any answers, just being fobbed off, told to go home, take medication, go on the pill. You know, it's not a cure for it. Um, there's no cure for it, but you feel like as if you're not being listened to, um, which I, I feel is everybody's situation at the moment. We just, we're not being heard. Um, so after... And you were diagnosed in 2017. Um, I had the miscarriage in 2017 and okay. I was diagnosed a year later in 18. Okay. After um, passing out, basically, I had to ring an ambulance. Ambulance brought me to a different hospital um, where after being in there a week, they, they said, right, we'll get the gynae team down to do mm-hmm. a laparoscopy. And afterwards, they apologised to me and said... We're so sorry. Um, you have stage four, and it's the worst we've ever seen. And literally, yeah, yeah awesome. literally destroyed with it, you know. Um, but it's affecting all my organs now, and it's hard to do your normal day-to-day yeah. tasks, you know, because you're constantly saying to yourself, you know, even if your friends say, "Oh, come on, we go over here or go there," you're constantly thinking, "Will I be able to?" Yeah, do that? because you can't predict how quickly. No, you yeah, can't. Can you don't on, know yeah, what way you're going blue. to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and the pain, as everyone is describing, is just oh, good God, it's yeah, just knock horrendous. You, literally knock you to the floor. We're hearing. No, oh, uh, it's horrendous. Like for, for pain to actually make you pass out. Oh, can't. Um, you know, can't it, imagine. I cannot. Imagine. No, and then I presume a lot of people can't, but it's horrific. It's yeah, a, it's, it's, it's horrific. Um, yeah, and it, it really planning, is. You're planning. You're, you're planning for the worst all the time. The yeah, worst, because you know. I had another laparoscopy there um, nine weeks ago, and I was actually in this week for the the talk of of what they done, you know. And um, my my bell is already very very badly damaged from okay. it. Um, all my organs are kind of being pulled left, right and centre from this disease um, and it's putting an awful strain on my body but my bell has been damaged. They're talking now about um, hysterectomy where they will have to remove the ovaries as well and they're basically telling me throughout that operation there is going to be more damage done to the bell and I will 99% they're 99% sure that I will be left with a colostomy bag oh. that is irreversible. Okay, okay Tracy. Because of this disease, you know, yeah. like it, it just it just attaches onto everything. It just constantly People grows are, and grows and grows. People are literally crying out for more understanding and diagnosis yeah. and treatment. Ashling Shields, thanks, Tracy. Ashling okay. Shields, Hi. your situation. Um. So I was actually diagnosed... 20 years ago, um, after waiting 10 years for a diagnosis. Um, So I started my periods when I was 8 years old. Um, Within a year, I started to have these symptoms. Back then, nobody knew what that was. It wasn't even a word I could pronounce when I heard it about six years later. Um, Nobody really knew anything about it. My GP, luckily, was extremely supportive. Um, and it was a cousin of mine's wife in another country that had it and said it to me, that's what you have, like 90% sure. And my GP, I was lucky enough, um, was just really proactive, jumped on it, was delighted 
um, with a diagnosis for me. But I got sent with, like, the worst people, some of the worst medical people in this country. Like, it was your your caller yesterday made me text in because I usually turn off these programs, to be honest, because it's so upsetting so for upsetting. me. Yeah, um, but it was your caller with the, with the teen daughter. It just brought back so many memories of me being in these consultant rooms and them asking me silly questions yeah, like, yeah. do the boys not like you? You're so pretty, like stupid rubbish that has nothing to do with And where are we now? Where are there. you now, Ashling, with your diagnosis so, and, yeah, and your treatment? So, yeah, so I um, I had a number of treatments here that were unsuccessful. I got put on those injections to bring on menopause when I was about 20. Um, I'm left with all the side effects. I've had hot flushes since I was 20. I'm 40 now. I have insomnia. I have osteoporosis. Like every side effect you could get because they were not ever going to be right for me. Yeah. Um, I had an, an operation that was really bad, put me in a worse state, um, and a number of traumatic other treatments. But eventually, I found a surgeon okay. in the U.S., okay. and he saved my life. Okay. Um, okay. He got all of us out of me. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, I ended up, after multiple miscarriages um, and going back to him for a second procedure, yeah. being able to have my healthy oh, okay. one miracle oh, baby, and who's um, seven now. Um, okay, but, so I, I need to finish with yeah. that, unfortunately, but... Yeah. but I just, again, you had know, to go to the USA. Yes, it was Dubai. The day before it was Romania. What's happening yeah. in Ireland? Okay, thanks indeed, Ashling. Thanks to all our callers. Uh, Jamie Dyle on Soundchain. Galvin was a BCO. Neil Hammond produced. Lisa Marie Berry is a series producer. On The Meaning of Life on Sunday night, Half 10 RT television, the inspirational Joan Freeman, the founder of uh, Pieta House and indeed presidential candidate. And a lot more to, to besides, as you will discover. I think uh, it was a fascinating uh, conversation. The Meaning of Life, half ten Sunday night, RG uh, television, and uh, Brenda Dunn, who's next? 0818 715 815 stays open until 3 15 pm or email joe at rte.ie.